What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three playwrights struggling to find that last song with nothing better to do. I'm Matt Johnson, and I only sing in the shower. I'm Keith Baker, and I was expecting Nirvana to be playing in the background. And I'm Austin Terry, and I would never make it as a struggling artist in New York City. Uh, it just, it sounds kind of awful. <laughs> on, <laughs> on today's show, of course, we'll be discussing the newest Netflix original, Tick, Tick, Boom. But before we get to that, Austin, is there anything else from us people should be checking out? Yes, there is, Matt, because this week we're talking about Andrew Garfield. And of course, last week we broke down Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. We had a ton of fun discussing what may be some overlooked Spidey films. Uh, I think we all came out with a positive outlook on the Amazing Spider-Man franchise. Yeah. No, Austin, you are right. I definitely came away appreciating Andrew Garfield's Spider-Mans a lot more than uh, when I originally saw them. Who's the better Spider-Man, Toby or Andrew? I think it's still up for debate, but... Well, it's, it's Andrew, hands down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we all did agree that, that uh, Andrew was a better Spider-Man, but Toby might have been the better Peter. I don't know. But Tom Holland, we're going to have to talk about that soon. So it's just going to throw us all for the loop. That's all I know. And this is a big week, guys, because I think this might be the first time we've had back-to-back weeks with the same actor. So Andrew is back. He's back for more on the Arnie's. Probably. At least like a lead actor, for sure. Um, But yeah, check out that episode because, I mean, people shit on the Amazing Spider-Man movies. And I was, believe me, as the biggest Tobey Maguire Sam Raimi fan, I was ready to do the same thing. But... While watching, I was like, ah, kind of like this, kind of like this. <laughs> so check those out to get our full thoughts. Uh, but with that, let's, of course, get into our main topic of the episode today, the new Lin-Manuel Miranda and Andrew Garfield Netflix film, Tick, Tick, Boom. Miranda found universal critical acclaim for his Broadway shows Hamilton and In the Heights. He's also written several songs for Disney films, but this marks his feature film directing debut. And while Andrew Garfield has been nominated for Oscars and he's received acclaim for his work, has actually never professionally sung before he was cast in this film. Kind of sounds like a recipe for potential disaster, if you ask me. But maybe Tick, Tick, Boom has a few surprises in store while telling the real-life story of influential playwright Jonathan Larson and adapting his off-Broadway play, Tick, Tick, Boom. So, Austin and Keith, give me your history with musicals in general and your non-spoiler thoughts on Tick, Tick, Boom. Yeah, for me with musicals, I wouldn't say it's something I like seek out regularly, but I am a fan of like all the recent hits like La La Land and The Greatest Showman. I think the thing I like most about musicals is you get to see actors do something different and really showcase like their whole theatrical talents. And I kind of feel that's exactly what Andrew Garfield did with Tick, Tick, Boom. I'd never seen the guy sing before. I'd never seen the guy dance before. I didn't even know he could do either. And I was blown away with his performance entirely. Um, I had a great time with this movie. I like that it's kind of a rock and roll musical, so I felt like all the songs were a bit more engaging than the typical musical songs are. And for me, this movie just flew by. I was super impressed with Andrew Garfield, and I really had an enjoyable experience watching this movie. All right. Wow. Okay. So Austin really, really liked the movie. Keith, what'd you think? Did you have the same thoughts? There's lots of things I did like in this movie, but going into it, and not reading anything about it as usual. I did not know it was going to be a musical. And once they started singing every few seconds, I was like, oh, shit, this is a musical? <laughs> I'm not a big fan of musicals when it comes to movies, which, because I do enjoy going to see plays. But for some reason in like the movie format, I've never really been a fan, not a big fan of Sound of the Music, never seen La La Land, Grease, whatever, it's an, it's an okay movie. Um, that's about my history with musicals. And then going into this one, I do agree with Austin that Andrew Garfield put on a 
great performance, and it was interesting to see him sing and and uh, and perform all these different songs and choreograph dances or whatever they were doing. But I think I would have liked to see more more about like the music process, and then instead we got I think for me we got way more into like the drama behind everything and. Ran a little slow for me, and by the end, I was just kind of ready for it to be over. So I just had a lot of boredom throughout this movie, uh, where I think they they should have could have filled it in a little bit better. I gotcha, I gotcha. I definitely agree with both you guys on certain aspects. Overall, really enjoyed the movie, had a really good time with it, found it super interesting. Um, I am with you, Keith, though, that I did not know this was a musical going in. I really didn't know much about the movie um, until Austin actually suggested it, and... I think Andrew Garfield is just absolutely fantastic in this movie. The performance is incredible. And I did find myself at several points in the movie, okay, wait, so this is called Tick, Tick, Boom, right? But is this just an autobiography of Jonathan Larson? Like, what connection is this to Tick, Tick, Boom? Because they're talking about Superbia, his other play. I'm like, what's going on here? And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, okay, so Tick, Tick, Boom is literally just like an actual off-Broadway play about Jonathan Larson describing his past. And I was like, oh, okay, so that kind of makes sense. It's kind of a more down-to-earth musical in that um, sense. And I really like the music, kind of like Austin said, the rock um, monologue style really felt a bit more engaging than other musicals. I am with Keith um, in general. When it comes to going to a play and seeing a musical in that format, I love it. I think it's just so fun. It's so over-the-top, so theatrical really get a good experience there. But in movies, kind of condensing it into probably, you know, anywhere between a 90-minute or two-hour runtime, I don't know. There's something about it that's always weird to me. Like, whenever people just randomly break into song, it never feels natural. But I gotta say, somehow here, I think, combining Lin-Manuel Miranda with Jonathan Larson's music and the fact that Tick, Tick, Boom is literally just Jonathan Larson as a character talking about his past and experiences, it did feel really natural. Like whenever they're breaking into song, it's almost like they're not breaking the world. The characters are kind of just singing together and having fun. So that kind of worked for me. And I, I did not expect that at all. So this is a very unique musical in terms of what I've seen. So I really enjoyed it. Definitely some problems, especially towards the end and with the side characters. But overall, I would definitely recommend this one. Yeah, I would love to see a musical where like the premise is that it's so weird that they're singing all the time. Yeah. Um. I think the reason why the musicals work so well here is because everybody he's surrounded with is struggling artists, wannabe singers, wannabe dancers. So it, it feels more natural that when they're hanging out, they would like be doing this stuff. I am with you guys, though. I did. I was hoping going into this that this was going to be more about the actual like musical writing process and like what it takes to actually make it to Broadway. And really, it's it's more so about just Jonathan Larson struggling to write this one song. And that's like the whole premise of the movie. So I think the way it was marketed was a bit different than the way it actually plays out. But overall, I still think it's a great film. And if you're like me, who never watched any trailers for this, maybe just go into it blind and see how you feel. Obviously, uh, Keith felt a little bit more negatively. I definitely have some big issues with it. But I think having not seen the marketing, I think I came away a bit more positive because when I was watching the movie the whole time, I was like, so this is the guy that wrote Rent, right? Is that going to be in this? <laughs> like, I just, I didn't know. So if you don't have any expectations, maybe you'll like it more. And they reference Rent a lot, which is weird that it's like, it doesn't come up at all in the biography part of the movie. The thing that was cool is that by what happens, by certain, of course, dealing with um, 
LGBTQ characters and the HIV AIDS crisis. You can see how maybe he came up with ideas for Rent, but it's really never addressed. So, you know, kind of different in that way. But I guess maybe before we get into all that good stuff, we should drop a spoiler warning because we're going to get into the full juicy details of Tick, Tick, Boom. I'm going to talk about my issues with the movie. Austin's going to talk about why he loved it so much. And Keith, I cannot wait for us to break down everything we didn't like about it because there are some weird ass things in this movie that I can't wait to get to. All right, everybody, here's your final spoiler warning. We are getting into it. Austin and Keith, I want to hear about the casting crew to set us up. What you got for me? All right, so Tick, Tick, Boom is directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Like Matt said, this is actually his feature film debut. Uh, You may know him from his Broadway achievements like Hamilton and In the Heights, and his awards include a Pulitzer Prize, three Tony Awards, three Grammys, two Emmys, and an Academy Award nomination. Um, Tick, Tick, Boom is written by Steven Levinson. You may know him from Dear Evan Hansen and Masters of Sex. And our choreographer for the film is Ryan Heffington. And of course, based on the musical Tick, Tick, Boom by Jonathan Larson. All right, going into our cast, we have Andrew Garfield as Jonathan Larson, Alexandria Shipp as Susan, Robin de Jesus as Michael, Vanessa Hudgens as Caressa, Joshua Henry as Roger, with Judith Light as Rosa Stevens, and Bradley Whitford as Stephen Sondheim. There's our cast and crew, guys. Any positives, any negatives? I feel like the obvious one here is, of course, Andrew Garfield. Um, And this may actually be a negative for the movie, but... Beyond Andrew Garfield, there's not a whole lot of like, like everybody has small parts beyond Andrew Garfield, so it's hard to really gauge everybody's performance. I think the standout for me would probably be Susan, like beyond Andrew Garfield, I think the standout would be Susan, um, played by Alexander Ship. I like their relationship, and I like that the way Alexander Ship like plays Susan, she's kind of like a grounding presence among all these like eccentric artistic characters. I'll shout out to Robin de Jesus as Michael. I really liked his character. Uh, and while I did complain earlier that like I, the background drama got a little bit too much for me, um, I just still did like his story and I liked his relationship with um, Jonathan. So shout out to him. Yeah, he was great. I thought he was fantastic. Um, he might have been my favorite as well. Um, I'll shout out. Um, ooh, I mean, yeah, I, I do agree with Austin when it comes to the rest of the side characters. It's like, they have so little screen time, it's almost hard to shout them out. Like, I mean, Vanessa Hudgens did a great job singing, but there's not much to that character. So I think my main one, I'll give it to Lin-Manuel Miranda, specifically for how he directed this movie, because I felt like there were so many scenes that could have been kind of boring. Like, I mean, there's just scenes where they're just like hanging out at his apartment or just sitting around. And he somehow, even though it's his debut film, he really made a lot of the scenes pop, for, in my opinion, at least, even though it is kind of a long movie he made with some of the moves of the camera, the way they staged some of the things. I thought they really kind of kept things moving for the most part. So I thought his directing was actually pretty good, pretty solid. I think part of that too goes into the choreography from Ryan Heffington because normally we would shout out our composer here, but because this is a musical, we don't really have that. Um, So Ryan Heffington being the choreographer, he had to plan out a lot of the way they're dancing and singing around the apartments, Mm -hmm. around the diner. So shout out to him too. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. So what do people think of Tick, Tick, Boom? That's the big question. Of course, we'll give our thoughts. But what are the critics saying? So let's see. This one premiered on Netflix to overwhelming positive reviews. It currently has an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes, with the critical consensus being Tick, Tick, Boom makes musical magic out of a story focused on the creative process. 
an impressive feat for debuting director Lin-Manuel Miranda. Positive reviews focused on the film's performances, musical numbers, and celebratory nature. Uh, Andrew Garfield's performance received universal praise, with some critics saying his performance makes up for a sometimes untidy movie. Critics found the movie captivating and a great portrait of the creative process. And finally, the portrayal of struggling creatives in the 90s felt genuine um, and not like a forced dramatic beat. Critics found the musical performances engaging, but the story hard to follow. Some weren't sure what the film was trying to be, a memoir or a tribute to Jonathan Larson. The movie is lacking the necessary tension to make the dramatic beats pay off. Yeah, so definitely some good points on both sides there. Anything stand out to you either way, positive or negative? I think the main criticism I agree with is that it's very unclear like what this movie is trying to be. Um, just the way the way the story like unfolds, it's kind of hard to follow if this is supposed to be like, here's how Jonathan Larson made it, or Jonathan Larson really changed the way musical theater plays out through so its a tribute. Like it's very unclear what the goal of the film is. Yeah, I'll have to agree with you there, Austin. I didn't know who Jonathan Larson was, to be honest. I uh, mean neither. And so halfway through the movie I I paused it and Googled him and was like, oh, okay, this kind of changes the way I'm seeing this movie now. I thought this was like a just an original script, or, or it wasn't original script, but original story, I guess. Going back to the the negative point, what is this movie about? Is it a memoir or a tribute? I was I'm kind of confused on that as well. Yeah, and I talked earlier about how I liked that this is a musical that's about just kind of a guy struggling and going through pretty relatable things, and then occasionally, you know, music pops in. He's in the creative process. Super relatable. I really enjoyed that. But the problem is, and it ties into that negative you mentioned, the movie starts and they're like, Jonathan Larson is the guy that wrote Rent. And to your point, Keith, the only thing that I, I, I recognize the name. I was like, okay, I've never seen Rent, but I know what that is. I know what it's about. So I guess this is a real guy. He's the real guy that wrote it. And it's like, oh, okay, so he died. Never experienced that success. Pretty interesting. And then very quickly, it cuts to Andrew Garfield as Jonathan Larson, and he's in front of an audience presenting and performing Tick, Tick, Boom, the actual play. But then, because the play is about him struggling years before to kind of write a different play, the flashing back and forth does get confusing. And it's like, so what is this about? And then you remember, oh, Tick, Tick, Boom is just Jonathan Larson's story about him struggling. So I guess it's about that. But then it's cutting back and forth and telling you what happened in the future. And it's like, so did he make it? It does get kind of confusing at times. I think the editing in this movie wasn't very good. Um, Definitely left something to be desired because there were several times where I was like, okay, we're cutting back. And this is a few years later. But then it's like, oh, only two days to my birthday. So oh, I guess we're back to that story. So it does get lost at times. Yeah, I'm going to break that down a bit more uh, later on. But I also do think just to throw out a positive, too. I do agree that the movie is very captivating. It's a credit to Jonathan Larson because the songs, all the songs he wrote is what they performed in the movie, and it's still very fun to listen to today. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, my only main negative is just that if it had played out chronologically, um, I'm not saying it should have, but just like the framing device of him like in the pr- quote-unquote present telling his story, and then it cuts back to that. If we had just focused on the stuff in the past, I think it would have made more sense. Do you think it would have flowed better if all of the musicals had happened in the performance of Tick, Tick, Boom? Like, do you think all of the flashbacks should have just been like the d- dramatic acting beats? And then when they do do a musical, it just takes place in the actual musical in the movie. I think I preferred the way it was. I liked that we were seeing, and for the, for the audience that hasn't seen Tick, Tick, Boom, again, I know we're in spoiler territory, obviously, but re- seriously, go watch it. Because if you're still listening to it, this is not going to make that much sense. So basically, there is a framing device 
of Andrew Garfield as Jonathan Larson performing Tick, Tick, Boom in front of an audience, right? And then it's constantly, he's referencing things that happened in the past. And then we see that. And I liked seeing the musicals actually happen in the past. I thought it was presented in a cool way and it worked for me. I think if we were just like stuck in a room watching like Vanessa Hudgens, like doing every song, wouldn't have been as good. I just thought the pacing and the editing was a bit off because every time it would cut back to Andrew Garfield in the present, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot that this was a thing. I forgot about the pruning device every time they cut back to it. Yeah, I, th- I think for me, I almost would have liked to have seen how they would have done it if they had only done the musicals during the play part of the movie, because in my notes, I have like written down from the opening. It's like, oh, cool. This is going to be like Amadeus. We're, we're actually going to see him perform on stage. And then it, it didn't uh, really play out that way, just from the way they opened the movie. I guess I like the way they did it. Um, and I like the way, like you said, Matt, how they were able to uh, instill the musicals in the past as well. I think that's actually some of my favorite parts of the movie is whenever they're, when they're not performing on the stage. Like the party scene. I really like that scene a lot uh, when they all just kind of start breaking out, beating on the furniture and, you know, spontaneously go into a song. I like that, that aspect of it. Probably would have been kind of boring just to like show everything on the stage. To that point, and to Austin's point, the thing that's kind of interesting about it is they couldn't have done it any other way on stage because what we were seeing was Tick, Tick, Boom was never a Broadway show. It was off Broadway. So what we were seeing was kind of the quote unquote, like cheap presentation as it was in real life. So if they had like made it more dramatic on a bigger stage with a bigger audience, that wouldn't have been how it actually happened in real life. So maybe they were like, because in a small room like this with just a few singers, that's how it was. So we have to focus everything in the past to make it a bit more cinematic and how you know we can actually show it in an interesting way. Yeah, I guess it would have been hard to make it seem like this grand production if it was never that in real life. Because it wasn't. Yeah, exactly. All right. Yeah. So some good stuff there. But let's go ahead and get into the details. I want to talk about this framing device more, of course, and some of the characters. So let's go ahead and open it all up. It's time for our roundtable discussion. We each brought some points in here and let's get into it, my friends. I'll start us off. Like I said earlier, the film opens up by letting us know that Jonathan Larson actually passed away very suddenly before the debut of his show Rent, which would go on to universal critical and financial success. And he never actually got to experience it. So while the story is technically an adaptation of his earlier work, Tick, Tick, Boom, he is our main character. So what did you think of him just as a character in general? Any additional thoughts on Garfield's performance? What did you guys think? As far as his performance, I thought it was great. I mean, I think Andrew Garfield, I haven't really seen him in that much. I mean, besides the Spider-Mans and then uh, uh, Hacksaw Ridge. Social Network? Oh, Social Network too. Yeah. So I guess those three or four. So yeah, it was interesting seeing him in this in this role. I didn't know he could sing. I didn't know he could do any of this kind of stuff. I don't think he did either. <laughs> I was reading that Lin-Manuel Miranda, he watched Andrew Garfield in a play that wasn't a musical. He watched him in just a normal play, and in his mind, he knew that he wanted to tell a story about Jonathan Larson. And while watching Andrew Garfield, he was like, that's my guy. That's who's going to do it. But he had no idea <laughs> if he could sing. And Andrew Garfield also, like... I was reading he studied musical theater for this movie. Like, he had never done it before. That's cool. And then going to his character, Jonathan Larson, once, once I discovered that this was a true story, it really paints a picture for people who are your starving artist in, in places like New York or L.A. or any other kind of artist kind of town. They just dedicate their, their existence to it, and they don't care about making no money at all for so long. They're waiting tables or, you know whatever you know jobs they got to do just to pay the rent and all that so that's pretty 
pretty crazy to see and you know some and a lot of people don't make it so it's pretty incredible whenever somebody like him does eventually make it sadly he died young but you know you hear the stories all the time lots of people in hollywood hollywood today that probably were doing the same thing like barely paying their rent and then all of a sudden they get one big break and that's it they're they're rich as hell and they're in they're off to the races making a bunch of movies or plays and all that yeah, I think they did a really good job of painting him as this laser-focused artist who is solely focused on getting his play out there. He'll do whatever it takes. Um, and I, I think as a result of that, for parts of the movie, it is a little bit hard to root for him because you can, when he's getting in discussions with his friends or his girlfriend, in your mind, or at least in my mind, I'm like playing out, okay, well, here's what you probably should be saying in this situation. And you can tell he's just not listening. He's only focused on what he can do for his play or how he can turn something into a song. Um, and so I think they did do a really good job of showing just how, I guess, stubborn he could have been whenever he's really focused on this play. But then as a default to that, it's like, uh, like you could probably be a better friend or a better partner in this, in some of these situations. Yeah. Like way too tunnel visioned in some moments. But that's what the movie to me was about. It was about a guy with tunnel vision and just could only see his future success. He was so sad that's the legendary Stephen Sondheim like, had his first big Broadway hit when he was 27, whereas he's about to turn 30. So he's a failure in his eyes. And I'm not saying that as a negative either. Like, I thought it was no, a, no, no, I I know, did I know, a great yeah, job of portraying yeah, yeah, yeah. that. That's what I love about the movie is that he is a guy with flaws, but he is really kind. He's a really good person. But because he's so driven to his art and he doesn't want to supplement it with anything else, he just wants to spend all his time on this and find success, it does lead to him potentially like jeopardizing his best friend, Michael. And, you know, he loses his you know relationship with Susan as part of that. But after the fact, the movie does acknowledge that, which was my initial point, is that he and Michael do talk it out and do reconcile. And he and Susan, maybe they're not together at the end. They still kind of come to a common ground and are able to kind of forgive each other and accept each other. So I like that the character, it's weird to say because he's a real person, but the character of Jonathan Larson kind of realizes that maybe he made mistakes kind of just focusing for so many years on his art and he should have made room for more friends because that's what kind of the success was all about. All these people love him and he should have been more open. And by the end, I think he is. So I thought that was really cool. And that was my favorite thing about Michael, too, is that Michael is this character that will call him out on his shit and be like, yeah, maybe Steven Sodenheim made it at 27, but you're not Steven Sodenheim. You're 30. I really liked how Michael is able to make him kind of see a different picture than what he can only see in his tunnel vision. Yeah. And I also thought it was such an amazing device. And apparently this is true to life um, that even though he worked for eight years on Superbia, this play, it also is it's just so crazy. They tick, tick, boom is an actual musical about the making of a different musical called Superbia, also by Jonathan Larson. That's where I kind of get like muddled in my head, but it's a really cool idea. Anyway, my point was I love that how they use Bradley Whitford as Stephen Sondheim because Superbia is a failure. It seems like everybody loves the idea of it, but nobody's going to buy it. Nobody's going to produce it. But to Keith's point, Stephen Sondheim is like his biggest inspiration. Like I know for so many people, Stephen Sondheim was the guy that like made in the 1900s in general, he kind of revitalized the American musical. So the idea that he's the guy that's actually calling him like, hey, man, really loved it. Thought it was awesome. You did so great. Um, love the music. I'd love to talk about it some more. Here's my contact information. <laughs> like he actually is like supporting him. And the way that pays off at the end is so, so cool. Um, and I think that helps Jonathan realize, 
look, he supports me. I love what I made. It didn't turn into anything, but I can move forward and, you know, be a better friend, be a better playwright. So unfortunately, he died early, of course, but still really cool how that all played into it. And I was actually also surprised at how much of a positive feeling I had about Rosa by the end of the movie, because for the majority of the movie, she's portrayed as this absent agent who maybe is just like taking his money and not doing anything with it. But then at the end of the movie, she shows up, she gets people to come to his um, performance of tick- of Suburbia, and she gives some good advice too at the end of the movie. You got to write the next one. You got to keep doing this. You got to write what you know. Um, so I was I was really impressed at how well, despite being on screen for maybe like eight minutes, Rosa in some way has really great character development or really great character growth by the end of the movie. I agree with you. I really liked Rosa by the end and I was very apprehensive. It's like, why is she like not calling him being kind of a dick? But then by the end, it's like, OK, actually pretty good advice. So I like that arc as well. Um, and I liked, you know, Stephen Sondheim, like I mentioned, but I feel like everybody else apart from like Michael and Susan, who are our mains, like we're seeing Joshua Henry as Roger. We're seeing Vanessa Hudgens as Caressa, like pretty regularly. But I kept wondering, who are these people? Like, mm-hmm. What are they doing besides singing? And they were singing amazingly to their credit. I just wanted to say that. But I did. It did leave me wondering about some of the other character arcs. I mean, Keith, did you feel that way, too? Or are you wanting more for some of the side characters? Yeah. I mean, this goes to my point earlier about you know, getting more of the, the creative process. And it would have been kind of cool to see him cast these people and why he cast them. Especially because they worked on Superbia and then clearly because of the framing device, they worked with him again on Tick, Tick, Boom. And it's like, why? Did they just like him? I don't know. They, they never talked. <laughs> Were they friends before this? I don't or? know. <laughs> yeah. No idea. And that actually is one of my biggest issues with the movie is because I, I think of the way it is structured, being told their performance of Tick, Tick, Boom, and then flashing back. It is a bit hard to keep track of like, okay, who is this person? I saw them 45 minutes ago. What's their relationship with Jonathan? Like, I'll, I think the side characters do get cut out the majority of the story. And it just gets a bit muddled because you're showing us similar things and characters don't look that much different. So it's like we're seeing... Carissa and Roger, like, you know, I guess in 1990 while they're making Superbia, but then it like flashes forward to the making of Tick, Tick, Boom, and it's there and it's like, okay, so Jonathan Larson is singing, he's telling us a story in the present, and then it's flashing back to the past where he was singing songs for a different musical. So yeah, we've talked about it, but it just gets a bit confusing and the characters, I don't know. Yeah, they just get a bit lost in the mix. And I really liked all the performances, but the story itself doesn't serve, I would say it doesn't really serve most besides Andrew Garfield as Jonathan. Well, let's let's talk about the runtime. So when I was watching it, it felt way longer than two hours, and I'm still trying to pinpoint why. But it did feel like there was some slow parts and some of the songs kind of went on a long time where I was kind of like I had that that Sam Smith writing on the wall kind of feeling like, geez, like, can we wrap this up already? <laughs> like, it's a good yeah. song, but like it just kept going on and on. I'm like, golly, like just going to the next one. Um, are you guys in the same boat? Probably not. <laughs> but I mean, did you guys feel his pace fun? I, I had the opposite experience, actually. For me, it was like. Why are we talking so much? Why aren't we singing? Like, if I felt for me on some points, it was like, there's a lot of breaks in between the actual songs. Yeah, I don't know. It, there was a good, to me, it felt like 50-50. There was just as much breaks as there was 
music. And it felt like some stuff was kind of repetitive with him and Michael and then him and uh, Susan, their their conflicts. It's like, we get it. Michael and Susan want to have like lived like the more practical life. And I get it. That's what they want. But they kept kind of kept bringing it up. And and that kind of got a little repetitive for me. I think they dropped the ball with the Susan character in regards to that, Keith. I thought Michael did a pretty good job just in a premise. I really liked that, you know, we have the character Jonathan Larson, of course. And then we have so many characters that were actors or were dancers that then have found opportunities outside of that. And I thought that was really cool. And it's like watching them interact with Jonathan after having kind of moved on from that life was really fascinating for a story about a struggling artist. But I think for the Susan character, I agree with you. It really did feel like after a certain point in the beginning, her only purpose in the story was to have her come in and say, Jonathan, hey, it's me, your girlfriend. Can we talk about uh, the job offer I got? And then he's like, oh, no, I'm busy. And I was like, "Okay, see you later. Um, I thought it was a bit more subtle and better handled when it came to Michael. Like it didn't always focus on that. Whereas with Susan, it really did feel like by the end, it was like every conversation was about that. I loved Alexandra Ship's like the one song she gets. That was super cool. Like he's like watching Vanessa Hudgens, but he pictures his girlfriend. That was nice. But other than that, that's really her only purpose in the story. And I was kind of disappointed by that. It's also weird, too, because uh, for some point, Susan is presented as the narrator talking about him after he died. So it makes it seem like they ended up still having a relationship beyond their breakup. And she goes to his plays. And I wanted more about how that developed and that's also another real life thing with when it comes to historical accuracy they didn't change too much from what i could find but apparently um the real life jonathan larson and the character susan is not the real name of this person but the idea of that character they were kind of on and off again but apparently still together by the time that he had passed so it almost seems like this movie assumes that Whereas it was, I agree with you, it was kind of weird that she is the narrator by the end. And it's like they had kind of said their farewells and it was a, a very amicable breakup and pretty sweet. So, it, But it was still weird seeing her narrate. And it was like, oh, I guess in real life that would have made sense, but not in the context of this movie. I understand what we're doing with the framing of, of Tick, Tick, Boom and, and how that's what this movie is. I, I, for me, I almost feel like a better movie would have been opening up with superbia going well the reading of it and then seeing him writing the rest of his work like i kind of wanted to see i want to see the movie about him writing rent and like what that was like i i I don't know i I almost feel like this whole movie could have been the opening of another movie i feel you there i agree with like the critical point that lin-manuel miranda did a really good job of directing and making it engaging the whole idea of struggling and coming up with new ideas and kind of finding success being creative i thought that was super cool but I do agree. It's like by the end of the movie, when although I really did enjoy it, I was like, couldn't a lot of this had been like the superbia? Couldn't that have been closer to the beginning? And then he gets that initial like, oh, I, I, everybody loved it, but I still failed. Nobody wants to buy it. And then he writes the next one. And then maybe at the end, true to real life, he starts writing Rent, which will become such an influential play and such a huge hit. But then he dies literally the night before it premieres. I didn't like how that was just relegated to narration. Like I, to Austin, you already brought up Susan's narration. It was so, and I hate to use this word in context of like a, of a real life tragedy. I would use the word tragedy, but it was so goofy how it just like gets to the end. And then, then Susan is just narrating. And then he wrote Rent, but he died before it came out. Like it was, 
it wasn't like offensive, but it did feel really like that's the way we're going with this. Like, that's really weird how to handle that. I thought that was just bad. And they never reference it again. And the big like climactic point at the end of the movie is he's talking to Susan. He's like, I'm going to write the next one. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to do it. Which was I was great. really excited to see him yeah. write the next one, but we didn't get to see mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And, and to me, yeah, they were kind of like teasing that throughout the whole movie because yeah. they started off with like saying, and th- and before he won all the whatever prize Grammys or Oscars or some whatever it was, you know, this is who he was. And then you're like, and then you're like, oh, cool. So when we get to the, you know, towards the end of the movie, we're going to see him become successful and see how it all plays out for him. And then, yeah, it just, it, and then it just ends with, <laughs> with just telling, telling us what happened Ugh. to him again. Like you already told us what happened to him. Yeah. <laughs> we, were, we were hoping to see it in a weird way. And I, I usually don't like how movies do this, but it would, you know how like biographies or um, biopics, like at the end, the credits start rolling, but it like shows pictures of the real person, then text of like what happened to them later. I think it would have been really cool if the movie ended with him, you know, tick, tick, boom is out and then he starts writing something and then he suddenly passes away. And then it just says at the end, there's a real life picture of him. And then Jonathan Larson, what you just saw him write was Rent, which became the biggest thing in the world. And even though he didn't get to experience his success, he found what he wanted to do and found the stories he wanted to tell. Because the weird thing, and it's kind of how we talked about Lin-Manuel Miranda is trying to juggle a few different things here. Because we have to think about this. This is an adaptation of a musical called Tick, Tick, Boom. Tick, Tick, Boom was about him and his struggles making Superbia and then moving on. Because that came up before Rent, Tick, Tick, Boom was never about, I'm going to write the next big thing. I'm going to call it Rent. It wasn't about that. So whenever this movie tries to shove in in like the beginning and ending narration of, but then he was successful. Hold on. He did find success in this thing called Rent. Ever heard of it? And it was like, that's where it didn't work. And the movie didn't treat that very respectfully, in my opinion. And it's because the original Tick, Tick, Boom came up before that. So Jonathan Larson isn't dealing with any of that. So whenever the movie tries to adapt Tick, Tick, Boom, but then also tell what happens in the future, it gets kind of muddled and weird. So this is a musical. We got a lot of music to talk about. You guys got any standout musical hits or musical numbers that's, uh, that you enjoyed in this one? No, I mentioned my one of my favorite ones earlier was the the apartment party scene. I, for some so reason, good. I really liked that one. That no music great. in that scene too, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That's why I liked it. It was like just a little bit more simple, and it's kind of a spontaneous. And they're just beating on the furniture. And there's that one guy who was like making I fun love of this artists guy. <laughs> when he when he got there. He's like, yeah, screw artists. And then it's like, so anyway, what do you do? It's like I'm about to write the greatest musical of all oh, time. Like, so funny. This guy's <laughs> so good. This guy's this guy's hilarious. <laughs> but then he was so like he loved it. He actually loved it. And we see him in the final scene too. He was like, an and he was fan. he was yeah in the audience of of the Tick Tick Boom production too. Yeah, that was such a good choice. I love that song. Um, I think Real Life is the name of the one that I singled out, and it was whenever, um, basically, it was whenever he kind of is going through Central Park, and he's like, oh, I'm like, why have I been wasting all like all these years trying to write this whenever I have you know friends and close ones that I should have been paying more attention to, and then watching him hop the fence, go into that Central Park theater, pull over um like the cover on the piano, and just start playing. I love that because it was like half a musical and half not. Like whenever he's playing the piano, he's kind of singing, but he's also just kind of talking. And you just yeah. like watch Andrew Garfield act like he's like in real time. We're seeing his thoughts and he's just saying his thoughts. But then it turns into a song. And I thought that was so different and so cool. So I really love that one. 
Yeah, that's that one is a standout for me as well. I think the thing I like the most about all these songs is they do have those rock and roll undertones, even some punk rock undertones too. Like a lot a lot of the melodies in this song really felt like a Green Day melody from yeah. their 90s hits. A little bit, um, yeah. Which I really dug that. I think the standout one for me is the one when Michael is showing Jonathan his new apartment and it cuts from oh, yeah. the, this like classical musical singing in the new apartment and then a punk rock theme for the singing in the old apartment. I really enjoyed that cutting back and forth. And I just like his like his little ones that he does randomly, like about the sugar. He's like, yeah, I could sing a song about anything. And like sugar, is it refined or is it not? And then he just kind of goes into these little quips about it. Those are kind of funny. And another thing I did did like was we do get some of the creative process in there whenever he's talking to the producer about like, I'm going to need a guitar and drums. for yeah. this. And the guy's like, we can't afford it. And he's like, what do you mean? How much is it going to be? He's like, it's $100 a person or something like that. And I kind of liked that whole struggle of him trying to make the song what it needs to be and refusing to compromise on his vision too mm-hmm. he's like we got to have a piano at least a piano in there and the guy yeah <laughs> at least a piano and i love what that led to because that led directly into him accepting michael's offer to be part of that advertising focus group which might be my favorite scene of the movie um because not only does it kind of influence michael's character who was not a successful actor but he was an actor you can see how somebody like that would make it in advertising to the level that he did. And so that watching Jonathan Larson <laughs> going into this focus group and he's like, I don't want to be here. I hate this, but he's inherently good at it. Like he has these ideas and he's like, oh, I guess I'm good at this. This could be the rest of my life. I could be successful. And then quickly he's like, oh, but wait, that comes at a cost. <laughs> I don't want to be a part of this. I love that scene. Um, so so cool how they led into that. I will say before we move on, though, this movie did commit a very huge personal transgression. And I know you guys will relate to this, not nearly as close as I do, but you will at least get it. There is a line in this movie, in the same song I was talking about, where he's, uh, you know, telling about the story of how he met Michael. And he says, and we spent our summers in Cape Cod. No, you didn't, Jonathan Larson. You spent your summers on Cape Cod. It's an <laughs> island, you idiot. <laughs> I was like, how dare you, Lynn Manuel Miranda? How dare you, Stephen Levinson? <laughs> You've offended me. <laughs> so the main crux of the movie is him trying to come up with this song in the second act of his musical. It's the main thing he needs to put the whole thing together. How did it feel when we actually heard the song? Did it work for you guys? Because that is what like three-fourths of the movie is about. It didn't stand out to me when thinking about the rest of the songs. In general, though, I will say, just to be clear, I thought the music in this movie was all fantastic. But that one, to your point, Austin, it didn't really stand out lyrically or just kind of musically. Like, oh, wow, this is the one we were building towards, and it's so different. But the thing that I thought was so cool and so great was they filmed it differently. So it's like Vanessa Hudgens starts singing and she's just in she's so incredible. I mean, her voice is awesome. And then Jonathan Larson sitting in the back corner basically is like, ah, I just she's great. But all I'm wanting to see is my girlfriend. So then it cuts to them on that rooftop they were on earlier. And then Alexandra Ship starts singing and her voice is incredible, too. So, no, were the lyrics like amazing or like that, like warranting of all of the movie before it no but i think the way they filmed it was a really good payoff to that 
I agree. I, I, I could see the impact of it yeah, on him yeah. and, and the overall buildup of it. But I, yeah, the lyrics, though, I, I couldn't name one lyric. I can't remember. It wasn't very memorable right. of, of a song for me. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't, I don't think the song stands out among the rest. I think it's still really good. I did like the way, I don't know the right musical terms. I did like, I did like the way that song flows and how, I can't name the specific lyrics, but like it starts off with one set of lyrics and then at the end of the song, it's the same like rhythm of the lyrics, but the words are different. I, I did really like that part of it. Um, the thing that stood out to me about the scene is that, Keith, you mentioned the impact of it there. I like watching Jonathan watch his play play out, but I like watching everybody else in his life realize how great this is and how they're all proud of him and Michael's crying and his parents are there. All of that I thought was really impactful with the scene. That was awesome. It was really cool to see literally everybody just be blown away because apparently Superbia, like they mentioned in the film, while the music and lyrics were really powerful and really cool, it was a story about aliens. It was more sci-fi, kind of weird for something like Broadway, but everybody was like emotionally impacted. And then to still have it not be picked up by anybody, not be bought and have that all kind of be combined together was, you know, I thought really great stuff. So yeah, so we talked about the ending already, how they kind of do delegate the real life story of Jonathan Larson in terms of how he passed away before Rent came out. That's kind of all narration. But what do we think of the ending as a whole? So while we're flashing back and forth from his 30th birthday to the reading of Tick, Tick, Boom itself, um, did that work for you guys? Did we feel satisfied by the ending or did we want more? What'd you think? It's just so tragic that he spent all of his 20s, early 30s writing trying to make it big, and then he he died before he could actually see the results of all that work. Yeah, watching the movie, knowing from that opening narration, like they're telling us directly, this guy you're about to watch died before Rent came out. I was like, okay, so that's in my head. Um, and then watching the movie play out, and as we get towards the end, I was really reminded of like Vincent Van Gogh, who famously is like one of the most prolific and best painters of all time. He didn't sell anything while he was alive, it wasn't until after he died that he became Vincent van Gogh, you know, like the most prolific painter of all time or whatever. Um, so I was I did find myself thinking about that. And I did like how the movie inserted some things that were true to life that showed that while Jonathan Larson never got to experience the success of not an off off Broadway, not an off Broadway, but he had rent, which was a Broadway mega hit. He never got to see how that played out but there were like certain personal successes like by the end whenever he's having that you know birthday in the moon dance diner whatever it's called like we see that he's kind of left some of the creative energy behind and not focusing on that and focusing on the people closest to him that was really cool watching steven sondheim leave a voicemail for him which apparently happened was really really awesome maybe he didn't find success in the past but his idol thought he was great. And that's really cool. And also, fun fact, um, they couldn't get Brad because this movie was like delayed by six months because of COVID. They couldn't get Bradley Whitford to record that line. Uh, so Stephen Sondheim himself actually recorded the voicemail. That oh, we that's hear awesome. At the end. That's really cool. Um, and he was a big, you know, Stephen Sondheim is a legend and he was a big supporter of Jonathan Larson. And uh, watching that and knowing that fact, I mean, very powerful. So, while he didn't get to experience success, he was able to kind of make his life better and still knowing that people kind of important thought that he was good at what he did, not just him. So I thought that was really cool. 
And also, I think um, even though we didn't in the movie get to see the success of Rent play out, I think having the Soddenheim voicemail for Jonathan Larson in the context of this specific movie is almost more impactful than watching one of the plays be successful because we talked so much in the movie about how he idolizes all these other creatives who had made it by the time they turned 30. So I I think getting that voicemail was a really impactful scene in this film. I guess it is a little bit more impactful just to see how how bad these artists do struggle and and how people like him, the ones who don't choose to go the practical way like Michael and Susan, if they just keep on, you know, practicing their craft and all that, they might, they have a shot at making it. So um, I guess that's what the story was trying to tell, which is more of the hardship in the beginning of of these, these kind of people. Absolutely. I could never live in his apartment. Oh yeah, his apartment sucked. I actually thought his apartment was kind of cool, but then there was like these weird intricacies. <laughs> they, the showers in the kitchen. Wait, are you serious? And like we see at the end, it really was. I was like, no, thank you, no, thank you. All the the dishes and the cat litter, just Ugh. the way it went to shit. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. When Susan walks in, she's like, "What the hell's going on here?" <laughs> I also did read that. Um, because of course Jonathan Larson died. Like the writers and Lin Manuel Miranda were like. Well, we are filming in New York, so maybe if we can like pinpoint his apartment, which they knew, we could maybe kind of find a swimming pool that fits his description from the play Tick, Tick, Boom. So they found one in like the West Village or something, and they went there. And it wasn't until after they filmed it they realized that, that was actually the pool that Jonathan Larson would go to oh, and like, swim awesome. in while he was like <laughs> furious at his like inability to write something or something like that. So that was really cool. Uh, let's go ahead and get into our post-show content here, my friends. Any awards? You may give out some Arnie Awards every show. What are you guys thinking? What deserves, maybe not an Academy Award, but what do you want to praise for this film, positive or negative? I've got an award. I don't quite know how to phrase it yet, so maybe you guys can help me workshop a title. The gist of it is, how is this staying up how is this staying on his head and that is jonathan larson andrew garfield's hair Mm. in this movie the Mm. shape of it how does it how does it stay on his head it looks like it should just kind of fall off or he should fall over (laughs) with how big and tall it is even the character of his dad was like his hair look at his hair i love that that was great most durable hair award? Most durable is good. That's pretty good. <laughs> most durable, that's for sure. Because he's he's not, uh, I would say he's not the most hygienic person at this stage in his life. Mm-mm. So that's probably some dirty hair up there, but it's still staying up. It still looks good. That's true. It looks like he didn't take a shower the entire movie. <laughs> well, he, he swam. He swam in the pool. That's true. Oh, that's true. He's one of those guys that's like, I can't shower or bathe, but I'll go to my local pool. Uh, that's got to be enough, right? <laughs> I'll do the best customer service award, and that goes to uh, Jonathan slash Andrew Garfield in the Moondance Diner when that one old guy comes up and is like, and he's like, how many in your party? And the guy wouldn't answer. He's just like, my name is Mr. Kaplan. (laughs) Do I need to spell it out for you? No, sir. How many are in your party? I don't know if I would have been able to keep my cool there. So best customer service goes to Jonathan. My award, of course, nobody doubted, is the I'm Emotional Award. And that goes to the scene where Jonathan, after playing on the piano, describing his relationship with Michael, goes back covered in rain and knocks on Michael's door and says that he'll be there. And he finds a support group. And I, I had some tears flowing. And I will I will admit that after that scene, I did rewind back to watch it again. <laughs> I did cry again. <laughs> there was also a deleted scene there where no. Michael 
and Jonathan are having some back and forth banter, but they, they didn't use it. But essentially, it was Monica going, wow, it rained on you. You don't smell like shit for once because you haven't showered in three months. Well, there is a beautiful, I mean, every every one of Jonathan Larson's friends describe him as only using the local pool or just whenever it <laughs> rains. That's how he bathes. <laughs> He actually, he actually wrote a song about why do we shower when we have public pools in rain. There you go. Oh, I, I thought he might, I thought one, he might have it in his repertoire somewhere. So with that, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really would appreciate that so we continue to grow our show. Please leave us reviews as well. Even if you can't write anything, leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, it really does help us out. At the Arnie's is our social, and the Arnie's.media is the website. We'll be back next week to discuss some movies that surpassed our expectations going in. So that should be fun. And everybody, be on the lookout because I think the first week of December, we're going to be putting out our holiday bracket. <gasps> so that way we can recommend some movies you should be watching for the holiday season. Can't wait to watch Christmas with the Cranks. It's the best one. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, we want to hear from you, so please send us a message on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us thearniesmedia at gmail.com. Let us know your favorite musical. Is Andrew Garfield the best Spider-Man? Did you like Eternals? Anything you say we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. All right, everybody. Have a great Thanksgiving. We'll see you next week. And rest in peace, Jonathan Larson. See you. Take a shower, people. <laughs> <laughs>